Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. And I almost didn't come back, but for two reasons. Uh, my family and congregation. Other than that, I would have been more than happy to stay and uh, see the work of the Lord with, with my own eyes. Uh, we ever had so much to say that nothing is coming out. Everything wants to come out at the same time. Let's begin with today's gospel. It was heard that he was in town. And when he was in the house, everybody heard that he was there, so everyone came. And because they, they heard, did they have things to do? Did they plan to be there? Did they plan that he was coming? No. Heard he was there. They left everything, and they went. This was a lesson I learned recently. Uh, I was concerned with planning and organization and schedules and arrangements and things like that. And then um, showed us that all this planning and all this concern for planning and organization is really uh, a mask or a facade for control. We want to really control the situation. We want to make sure that everything is under control. Nothing is going to surprise us. Nothing is going to disturb uh, our flow of things, our arrangements we've made, we just want things to be under control. That's why we ar arrange and organize and prepare. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we shouldn't be prepared. The preparation that our Lord is calling us for is not preparing for an event, preparing for a schedule. It's preparation for life, to always be prepared. When it comes to preaching the gospel, Always be prepared. You're not preparing, you know, a small thing to say, a passage, a few words, a message to share. You're always prepared. When it comes to repentance, I'm not just, you know, repenting of this sin or that sin. I'm always in a state of repentance. I'm always in a state of preparedness. And if anyone had an excuse, it would have been the paralyzed man who would have said, hey, I'm paralyzed. Like, what more could I have done? What more could be what could be a valid excuse? There was this one church we were visiting called St. Mark's. It's uh, in the west of Kenya. And uh, they, they knew we were coming, so they prepared this whole procession to accompany, to accompany the group as we were entering the church. And we were delayed. All day, about 30 degrees. And it was sunny. And, and because we were delayed... We thought, like, you know, um, we felt bad, really guilty that we're late. We, we said we're going to be there at a certain time. We're, we're late, delayed, you know, not anything that we, uh, we had control over. And we were delayed. But when we got there, we were surprised to see their, um, the entire congregation was there waiting for us, singing, and singing very... Um, vibrantly and enthusiastically and with 
with songs and clapping and drums. And when we asked why, um, why all of this? Why, we, we know, first of all, we apologize for being late and making wait extra in the uh, hot sun and delaying the beginning of the liturgy and all of that. And to welcome you in. We're here to welcome Christ into our midst. And Christ is in our midst as he is, hey, as he is, oh, Christ in, is in our midst. What could be? Our midst. What could be a valid excuse to say, not today? or not right now, or right now is an inconvenient time. If Christ is in our midst, what would be the excuse to say, I'm gonna turn my heart to something else, to someone else, to, to take care of you know, daily requirements, daily needs, uh, what would be the excuse? And we learned that the, the the way we structure our lives uh, basically prohibits or prevents us from being able to receive this spontaneity of God. When God knocks on our door, He's not going to give you, you know, a time and a place and, and tell you, okay, I'm going to meet you in one week at such and such a time and such and such a place, and I'm going to knock and I, and I want you to open. He's not going to tell you the time or the place, and he's going to come knocking. And he's expecting that you live such a life that you'll be receptive to such a knock, receptive to such a visitation or such an invitation. Because at the end of the day, all the things that we do and all, all the, you know, the, the, the rhythm of life and the schedules and activities that we fill our, our days with, all of these things make our lives a lot more rigid, a lot more... Um, uh, firm that they then they need to be then when we actually get the opportunity to hear the word of God we might say this is not an opportune time this is not a convenient time so it was heard that he was in the village at a certain house everyone left everything and went can you imagine if this happens here in Mississauga you hear that he's in a certain place you know, my shift ends at 8. I don't know what to tell you. If I leave early, there will be problems. Or I have an exam. Or I have a test. Or I have a flight to catch. There's a million and one reasons. And we all have them. And they're all valid. And they all make sense. But at the end of the day, he's in such and such a place at such and such a time. And when he gets there, he's waiting. He's waiting for everyone to be there. For everyone to arrive. And when we see the scribes today arriving, they're a little bit different than the Pharisees and uh, the priests. The Pharisees and the priests are more worried about their place in society, about their power, their prestige, uh, about all the things that they, the control that they exercise over everyone. But with the scribes, they're worried about something else. They're worried about their own interpretation. See, the scribes aren't just basically copying manuscripts and Old Testament making new copies, they're also interpreting. And because they're interpreting, uh, they're worried that their interpretation is not going to match what Christ is saying. 
So that's why they're always worried Christ is healing on the Sabbath. Christ is doing things he's not supposed to, according to the interpretation that we're giving people. And even today, and even today, that saying that only God can forgive sin, this was part of some, an interpretation that they were writing. And this is what Christ picked up on and says, okay, if this is what you're teaching people, and I'm, he and I'm forgiving uh, sins, what does that tell you? So they got entangled into their own interpretation. If only God can forgive sin, what does that mean if Christ is forgiving sin? And this is in the Gospel of Mark. We're not talking about the Gospel of John where things uh, are more focused on the divinity of Christ. This is the Gospel of Mark, one of the earliest Gospels. And he's talking here directly saying, I'm forgiving. If you're saying God is forgiving sins and I'm forgiving sins, what does that tell you? What does that say about who I am? And not only the forgiveness of sins, but he showed them something else. He showed them that he, not only can he forgive sins, but he can read their hearts. He can know what is in their hearts. He knows what's in the heart, and he's telling them, I know what's in your heart. I know what you're thinking. You're saying this privately, but I know what you're saying. I know what you're thinking. And all of this, all of these thoughts, all of these ideas were confronted with on a daily basis. On a daily basis, on the outside, we, we want to appear as the perfect image of godliness, of righteousness, of piety. But on the inside, we might have some weaknesses, some cracks in that image. And Christ knows. Christ knows our weaknesses. And he's still calling us. It's not that the weaknesses that he knows in our hearts are turning him away. Or not that these weaknesses are saying that you know, these people are not good. I don't want these people around in my kingdom. These people, I, I want better people in my kingdom. I want sincere people. I want serious people in my kingdom. I want people who show up to liturgy on Sunday morning at the beginning at 8, 8 o'clock. By the way, we begin at 8 a.m. 8 o'clock in the liturgy, and they're not late, and they stay till the end. By the way, last Sunday, the liturgy was from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. And at one point, Sayyidina was saying that uh, their liturgies are like a wedding, a wedding feast. And uh, it's because it is so alive and vibrant, and not just that, everyone is participating. There is no one sitting there watching, waiting for, you know, when is communion. There's no one there sitting and waiting and watching who came first and who came second. Everyone is there, and everyone is participating. And, and 99.9% .9 of the people uh, come to church walking and walking, you know, uh, not a small distance and not on nicely paved roads. So if Christ knows what's in our hearts and he's still interested, what does that tell you? What does that tell you? Is there anything you can do to uh, drive him away, to make him lose interest? If he knows what's in our hearts, if he knows us at our worst, and he's still saying, I'm waiting for you. I'm knocking on the door for you. He knows. You really know how bad I am? Yes, I know. And I still, I'm still interested. I still want you. He discerns the secrets of the heart. The scribes found this out, and they were shocked. They were surprised. Like, you know what we're thinking? 
that if my brother, if my parents knew what I was thinking, they might not want to talk to me ever again. But you know what I'm thinking and what's hidden in my heart, and you're still interested. And I wanted to say something about that, and I could not find anything better than what we read today in the Pauline epistle. What we read today by St. Paul in his letter to, to the Corinthians, in his second letter. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. You know when God sees us, when he smells, he smells the fragrance of Christ. He sees Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And when God sees me, he sees Christ. And imagine if God sees every one of us like this. If to God we smell the aroma of Christ, the essence, like what, what we smell like, what we look like to Christ, to, to God, is Christ. Imagine if we see others this way. But the scribes only saw rules and regulations. The scribes only saw interpretation and problem with their interpretation and how Christ is going to threaten their interpretation. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ. To the one, we are the aroma of death to death. And to the other, the aroma of life to life. You walk somewhere and your aroma, the aroma of Christ is the aroma of death. Because they don't want Christ. We were at a market uh, in one of the places we visited. And this market... Uh, it's like a, not like a flea market. A flea market would be something a bit more organized. This market was like a zoo. It was a huge market. There were tables everywhere, people selling, people buying, people walking. There were no, uh, the, there were stray dogs outside, but none inside because there's no room for even street dogs to walk inside. And when we walked inside, Sidna told us we're going to go to this market today and we're going to do some preaching. And when he says that, basically, what they do is they get big, loudspeakers and a microphone, and you stand in the middle of the market, and you preach the word of God. And people are, you know, all over. Some are business, some... Some are going on about their business, some are listening, some are not listening. So when we went to this one market, we found someone preaching their, their black magic. The magic with, you know, with demons and sorcery. And he's telling people, you know, you, you do this and the demons will protect you and they will uh, fight your enemies and all sorts of superstition and evil. So when we get there, we, we basically tell them, go for a walk. He's there just to collect money, so we give him some money, and he's like, as soon as he sees someone, he, he goes for a walk. He doesn't care. That's all he's there for anyways, to trick people. And then when we begin preaching and, you know, uh, and singing songs and, and all of that, he's walking all around us. He's giving us the dirtiest of looks. And I'm remembering this verse. To some, we are the aroma of death. But to others, everyone was there and watching, we are the aroma of life. For we speak in the sight of God in Christ. We speak in the sight of God in Christ. You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. You are manifestly an epistle of Christ. 
manifestly an epistle of Christ. When people see you, they're supposed to see Christ. When people see me, they're supposed to see Christ. And that's why the black cassock and the cross that I wear, wherever I go, this is an icon of Christ, but this is such a, like a, a clear and direct icon of the church. Everywhere I go, I'm a representative of the church. Imagine, you are the same way. Anywhere you go, anywhere you go, you are the icon of Christ. It's not you speaking. It's not you that they see. It's not you that they interact and hear. It is Christ. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Such trust. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. This is the whole crux of the matter. But our sufficiency is from God. Our sufficiency is from God. We depended so much on planning and preparation. And God came to us and said, where do I fit in all of, this, all of these plans? Like you have this stuff prepared and the things you're going to take and the things you're going to do. Where do I fit in all of this? Is there any room for me? Is there any space for me? Because it seems like you're, you, you've built a, a very good schedule, a very good plan for your life. Do I fit in there anywhere? Or is it all about your dependence so much that your sufficiency comes from the security that you've built into the way you've structured your life? And in this life, everything is backed up. They, you know, you have insurance on everything. And even the insurance have insurance. And everything is double, you know, protected. And all these things, where do I fit in? And is your sufficiency from me? Or is it from the schedule, from the plans that you have for your life? And in many ways, God has become for some people a source of maintenance. We pray to God that he maintains our prosperity. He doesn't take it away. Please, God, don't take away my happiness. Please, God, don't take away my prosperity that I worked so hard for. Right? And our dependence becomes on things of this world rather than our sufficiency being on Christ. Our sufficiency being from God who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. The new covenant that's written in our hearts and not merely written with pen and paper. And the irony of today's miracle is that Christ is coming not to heal the paralysis of the person but to heal the person not the paralysis of the person but to heal the person what does that mean that means something very significant because if we come to God saying everything in my life is perfect except for this one thing please take care of this one thing he's gonna disappoint you he's gonna I'm gonna take care of everything I'm not just gonna take care of this one little thing that's annoying you I'm gonna heal the whole thing and things, will, things might be all upside down in, th in ways you have not expected. This man, he woke up this morning not expecting to be carrying his bed and walking home on the same day. He didn't expect that. He didn't think that, oh, today I better, you know, make sure that my bed is light because I'm going to have to carry it home. He had no idea. He had no clue. They told him, this man is here. He can heal you. Let's go. Okay, let's go. He can heal me, but keep everything else the same. That would be fantastic. But God said to him, everything is going to be upside down. And the thing you're coming for, the thing that you're coming for is going to be the condition of your healing. The man born blind, 
He told them, walk to the pool and watch. But how can I get to the pool if I'm blind? The man who's paralyzed, carry your bed. I'm coming being carried on my bed. You want me to carry my bed? And that's why God, you come to ask him something. And the thing you're asking him for, he tells you, this is the very thing that I want you to do. I want you to do it. God, please, I'm having such a hard time loving my brother. So Christ comes to me and says, I want you to love your brother. But I just came to tell you, I have a hard time doing this thing. How do you want me to do this thing? You're telling me to do this thing that I'm, having, I'm coming to you, I'm having a hard time with. Because it's not the thing that he's going to be healing. It's all of me that's going to be healing. He's healing the whole person. In the second century, St. Clement talks about the physician's art. The physician's art is to heal the disease of the body. Heal the disease of the body. And in many ways, modern medicine is about the disease of the body. Healing the thing that is sick. So my leg is broken. My kidney is broken. My arm is broken. So they heal the thing, but they don't heal the person. Healing the person, focusing on the person, even when it comes to spiritual care, to, to a lot of modern physicians, this is about in the service of healing the disease. Whereas Christ is coming to heal the person. Take the bed. Stand up, he commands. Take the bed on which you lie and go home. And he reverses that relationship that the paralyzed man has with the bed. Instead of the bed carrying you, you now carry the bed. You now carry the bed. In many ways, and this has been my experience, I've seen this many times. When we ask people to repent, when we ask people to return to God, when we ask people to strengthen their relationship with God, when we ask people to serve, there's always excuses. For themselves, there are always excuses. But you give a person something outside of themselves, something other than themselves, separate from their center of being. And you tell them, for the sake of this person, I want you to help that person. I want you to serve that person. I want you to come early for the sake of that person. I want you to pick up that person on the way to church. And all of a sudden, the person who was coming late, now is coming earlier than you. The person who couldn't even open the Bible, now he can't stop speaking and reading the Bible because their focus is no longer within but without. It's outside of themselves. And this is how our relationship with sickness, relationship with sin is reversed. It changes places. And the very weight of our sins becomes the very measure of our healing. The very weight of our sins becomes the very measure of our healing. Look at St. Moses the Black. And how much he repented. And how much the weight of sin, the weight of sin became the measure of his repentance. And now his repentance is spoken of throughout all generations. The act of healing has a necessary condition though. Christ never healed someone and says, go on about your life the same way you came in. You came in this way today. I don't want you to go back the same way. I want you to go do something different. Be something different. Become something different. Become the aroma of Christ. The healing is conditional. On the sense that he says, go and sin no more. 
He doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to fix, first of all, that small part of your life that you want me to focus on and leave the rest un untouched. I'm going to fix everything. And when I fix everything, I don't want you to go back living the same way that you lived when you came in this morning. I don't want you to be the same person you came into church this morning. I want you to be different. When you go out there, they don't see you, they see me. They don't smell you, they smell me. You know why Abuna at the end of the liturgy sprays the water? Why do we spray water? To wake up maybe some people. If that's the case, we should spray water before communion. Just to make sure everybody's awake for communion. No. It goes back to the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, when someone was sick and they would go see the priest, the priest to uh, inspect and make sure that they're healed and they're uh, allowed to go back to their own community if they were living in isolation, they would dip uh, the wing of a bird in water and sprinkle it on the people, on the person coming in. And that would be the sign that the person has been healed. The person has been restored. You're no longer the person who came in. You're a different person. You're someone who's been made whole. The thing that you came in with, that burden that you came in with, you've left it. And now you're walking out of here light. You're walking out of here standing straight. No longer bent down under the weight of sin. And this is why today, when it was heard that he was in the house, everyone left everything and went. Even though an encounter with Christ is risky. It's not a safe event. It doesn't mean that you're going to go and come back the same way. You are going to be changed. Things in your life are going to be changed. They're not going to continue to be, you know, same old, same old. We're going to be doing the same stuff, same routines, everything. No one encounters Christ and leaves that encounter unchanged. They become someone else. They become something else. They're no longer living for themselves, but living for someone else. Li living for the glory of God. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death to death and to the other, the aroma of life to life. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart and we pray that it will not only inform you but will also transform you and your life with Christ.